I want to welcome you to Genesis Community Church. My name is Hans. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And just want to say thanks for watching online or here in this room. Uh, thanks to our veterans who have served. Um, this is Memorial Day weekend, and it's a weekend where we might just think we get a three-day weekend, but given in part to remember those who have lost their lives in service to our country. And that's a significant sacrifice that most of us, you're in the room, you haven't made it, but most of us will not make. Um, of course, a sacrifice for a country is not the same as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, but we recognize even in that remembrance of those who have died for something bigger, that we see these little an image of what Jesus has done for us, to give up of yourself so that someone else might be free. And so I want to stop before we begin this, this section, these couple of weeks, I want to stop and just thank God for those people. You pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be in this space and in this time. We recognize, Lord, that, that wherever we are and whatever our station might be, it comes from you. We recognize your good and gracious hand in placing us where you placed us. And we thank you, Father, for those men and women who have given of themselves, given their lives, so that we might be able to be where we are. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you that in that we see but a small part of all that Jesus has done for all of us, not just for a nation, but for the world. We're grateful. We're grateful, Lord. And stir up in us that gratitude even today as we read through plagues and hear stories of your power, your might, things that we have never experienced like that. Still, Father, might we see you and worship you because of it. So be with us this morning and guide us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The plagues will stir up. I, there's a phone number that if you want to get out your phone and I give you a phone number, you can actually, it's not like a specific person's number, okay? So don't just, I don't just advertise everybody's number. Uh, but if you want to save a contact in your phone, I'm going to give it to you right now. The contact is just the number that you could text and ask anything to Genesis about. If it's like, hey, when's the thing or when's the this? Like this is a real legit number that you can text and we will reply. That number is 832-345-9579. 832, that's like I'm on the radio. 832-345-9579. I share that with you because we always say, hey, text 94,000, but that's actually a dedicated number that will buzz us and we can reply if you have a question, a comment, or just anything. That number is there for you. I actually have it saved in my phone as Genesis Info. Just, I don't text it because I'd be replying to myself. Um, but I do have it saved in my phone. It's just Genesis Info, 832-345-9579. I share that with you because we do have a weekly podcast or a daily podcast. It goes five days a week, Monday through Friday. And perhaps something we preach about, you have a question on. You, have, you go, hey, well, we didn't address this thing, or how do you apply that topic? If you just text a question about the passage to that number, for the Monday episode that I make, I usually record it Sunday night, We'll try to get through those. So if there is some kind of question you have or the text stirred up something and you would just like to hear an answer, I'll do my best to answer that question for you on tomorrow's episode, which drops like at 2.30 in the morning. I know all of you are waiting up until 2.30 when it goes live. All of you are like, I can't wait. So um, that, I just wanted to share that with you. I was talking with somebody this week and they're like, you could always just have them text in. I thought, yeah, 
you have a question about the text, text it on in. Especially as we get into the plagues. You guys ready for this? Okay. I, uh, I coach sometimes my nine-year-old's baseball team. I do not coach my 11-year-old's baseball team because as kids get bigger, they, you need to teach them more. And, you know, jokes on my team, I don't know that much. <clears throat> so my son had a, a coach in the fall who had played minor league baseball for a couple of years, and, you know, he was teaching his team how to swing a baseball bat. Well, it's just swinging a baseball bat, right? Like, no big deal. Just swing the bat. When you watch a person who is paid real money to swing a baseball bat, teach somebody how to swing a baseball bat, you go, huh. Yeah, that looks way different than when I do that. Like, like I, that's, that's a totally different look. I, I, I don't know what to do now. I don't even think I know anything about baseball, as a matter of fact. I don't even know, what is, what is this thing in my hand? You just drop it and you walk away. I've never seen that before, like up close and personal. Like, guy now in his 40s, had played a while back, swings a baseball bat, and I go, okay, that's a real person. Me, I can swing a baseball bat. It looks nothing like that at all. And if you see my kids swing, then you might know who their teacher is. It's a little silly, but I think there are a lot of times when we realize that we are overmatched, <clears throat> outnumbered, totally un- underqualified for what's before us. We go, ah, okay, that's different. <laughs> that thing is different. That person is different. You know, you, you hear the jokey phrase, let the professionals handle it. And then you, you go, well, it can't be that different, right? And then you see somebody who's done it do it, and you go, Okay, we're dealing with something totally different here. It's not what I want. Now, imagine what happens when that thing or that idea or that person, we'll say, is God. To go toe-to-toe with God is probably not the best decision to make if we were just on, on the list of decisions to make, like sparring with God. Probably not one I would put on the list of things to do. Like if you have some free time tomorrow, don't get into the ring with him. Because we're not dealing even in that with earthly endeavors. We're not dealing with how to swing a baseball bat or how to mow a lawn or how to edge or whatever it might be that's the thing that people who are good at it can do. It's cosmic. God's power. He is eternal. No one else is. He is all-powerful. No one else is. He is all-knowing. No one else is. He can do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, how he wants, and you can't stop him. And yet, we're about to enter into what happened over likely the course of months, a few months, two to three months in the life of Israel, or a life of Egypt, where Pharaoh tries to go toe-to-toe with God. The story tells very quickly, and so we don't know that time is passing as this goes on. The story goes quickly, you kind of read three, go, okay, so I was like, ten plagues, ten days? No. Doesn't happen like that. It's drawn out. Toe-to-toe with God. We're going to do it in three sets of three because you'll find a bit of a flow. For example, in, the, in like plagues one, four, and seven, it's in the morning. And in plagues 
3, 6, and 9, it's immediate. There's no warning. It just happens. And so you'll see some of this flow in how the plague story goes, which is why we take it the way that we do. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. What we'll see today is really four signs. There's that introductory sign that actually God gave to Moses earlier to prove to Israel that he was God the staff turning into a snake, and then there are three plagues. So we're going to go through four signs today. The first sign of the staff to a snake, and then three plagues, which are also three signs. You heard Hannah speak about it in our kids' video. And so you see blood frogs and gnats or mosquitoes or lice or some other insect that's really, really annoying. So we start with the sign. There's a lot of verses today to go through. I'm not going to read it all at once. I'm going to read it as we get there. And our first sign, this is actually a repeat. It's done before Pharaoh and his magicians, Exodus 7, where God just gave the pregame speech that we saw last week, and now the plagues are about to begin. But we have this confirming sign at the beginning, Exodus 7, 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle. Then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff, cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned his wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. We've seen this sign before, 8 through 13. Moses sees this on the mountain, and he flees from the serpent, remember? And the Lord says, stretch out your hand, grab it by its tail, it will become the rod, the staff again. Then he does this sign before the nation of Israel as part of confirming that it is the Lord who said what he was going to do and who did what he was going to do. The guy who was promised, they worship him because they say, you're the one who's going to do it. So now he brings this sign before Pharaoh. Now remember in Egypt, snakes are powerful creatures. If you look for it like old Pharaoh's headdresses, they would have a snake on them. And so we begin with just this little introductory sign, which is really a preview of coming attractions. The staff turns into a snake, and Pharaoh brings about his guys... Of course, he has a guy, right? He's, he's Pharaoh. He has magicians and sorcerers. Anybody has like spiritual advisors. He has all of these people at his disposal. And so he brings them in. And he says, look at this. What can we do? And we see in this sign, in the first plague, the magicians are able to reproduce the job. They reproduce it in such a way that Pharaoh has what he needs. Why do I need to believe you when my guys can do the same thing? Your God's not special. Our people can do this. Now, some minor debate exists in these stories, especially some magicians, because the magicians really only show up in one, two, and three, and then they show up once 
in the next cycle, but they're, because they're covered in boils, they can't do anything, so they're just kind of there for comedic relief. Um, and so they're here in 1, 2, and 3. They kind of disappear in 4, 5, and 6. They're like, we can't do anything. And so we'll, we get to get to know these guys a little bit right now. But some minor debate exists in these as to whether they were replicating the exact plague or the exact sign, or they were somehow using just trickery and sleight of hand. You saw Hannah's video uh, where you just kind of do enough. And you'll find people who would, who would grab onto both of those things and say, <clears throat> I think they're really just using their secret arts, and that's just kind of how they do it. And there's others who go, no, I really think that this happened. On the one hand, <clears throat> it does make sense this would be just some kind of illusion because Pharaoh's magicians aren't the Lord, and they don't have his power. They don't have his strength. They don't have his might. They're just counterfeits, and they're no match for the true God who does all these works and is the deliverer of Israel. And all Pharaoh needs is a reason to reject what Moses is saying. Just a reason. I just need one reason. I don't care if it's true. Just, you know, can you, can you just make it work, magicians? Because Moses will be done soon enough. Now, I understand that reason. If that's where you want to land, I, I understand that that's where you want to land. I don't land there. Remember, we were talking about how this is, a, this is a battle between true God and false gods. This is cosmic. This is, this is significant. And so I don't think that it's a little, I, I don't think that these are just illusions, and they don't last long, because there are ones they can't replicate. They can't make it happen. And if you read in the New Testament, the New Testament here, this passage is talking about a future time of deception, a time that has not been in existence even now. But you do get to see something about the craftiness of Satan in 2 Thessalonians 2.9. Now again, he's talking about the future and the coming of the lawless one. But he said, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs, false signs and wonders. You hear that? That there, there is power that Satan is using to bring false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love truth and so be saved. So there's at least a, a, a hint here in the New Testament that there's power that exists that is deceptive. That is deceptive. You might know this passage a little better. Ephesians 2 says, And you, he's talking to the Ephesians, the Ephesian church here, again in the New Testament, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which he once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So we know that Satan has power, and we know that entering into Exodus, we are headed into a battle of truth over lies. So, to me, parlor tricks don't suffice. They don't suffice. If I could buy a sleight of hand, make something happen, I don't think it works. So I do think that something was going on here, but it was certainly limited in its power. 
because the magicians go, ah, we can't do that. We can't do that. And so they're even limited in what they can do. YouTube can debunk an illusionist. You don't need the Lord. You just need, you know, an 18-year-old with a lot of time. But only God can defy Satan's power. And make him look like an impotent clown. And it shows up in how Aaron's staff, which is a serpent at that moment, acts in verse 12. Each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. You see that? Like, now imagine there was just some illusion, and then like Pharaoh's magicians have to go get their staffs from like behind a curtain or something, and then like walk away. Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. And so that should be enough. It should be enough, right? The battle's over. Don't keep going, right? Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. You're going to lose. You're going to lose if you're going to battle the Lord, the God of Israel, and try and demonstrate your power over him and his people. Because even at this first sign, you don't stand a chance. The staff of Aaron consumed the staff of the magicians like it was nothing. And then verse 13, still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. So we know, again, we're headed in this trajectory that's going to get us to the 10th plague. We're, we're headed there. But I want to speak to those in the room this morning who, who might say, either I'm not sure I'm a Christian or I don't know or I'm not a Christian, right? I'm not sure or I'm not. You might fall into that category. Have you ever considered... Why? You actually ever just thought about the question, why am I not? Why haven't I trusted the Lord? The Lord, the God of Israel, whose servant staff swallows up the staffs of the false gods of Egypt. It's an uncomfortable reality. It's an uncomfortable thing to consider. But without God's grace, we actually just remain obstinate. We just remain in this place of unbelief and hard-heartedness. It isn't as if we're born sort of okay, and then God makes us fully okay. Which I think is, is, even if we wouldn't say that, I think that's the belief most of us have at some point in time in life, is that we're... We're all generally good people, and then, you know, God just comes and cleans us up and gets us that little extra bit. <clears throat> but that's not actually the condition that the scriptures present for you or for me or for Pharaoh. We're presented as people who don't listen, don't hear, don't respond, don't love truth, don't love God. In fact, we just read in Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. You had no life. <clears throat> so, we're born in rebellion, in a hard heart, and we don't respond to the message of the Lord as we ought. This is exemplified clearly in the life of Pharaoh. 
someone who doesn't respond. But by grace, you and I, we need to turn from that. We need to trust in the Lord. That His grace enables even that movement. The recognition of our sinfulness, our need, the sacrifice of Jesus. His grace moves us there. We'll talk a lot over the coming weeks, this week and into the following ones, that trust the Lord. Do not remain stubborn. It doesn't go well for those of us who remain stubborn. It doesn't. It doesn't end well for the obstinate, of which everyone in this room was one or is one. But the Lord is powerful. He's powerful and he saves. But Pharaoh doesn't listen. And that brings us to the first three plagues. Now in these plagues, we will see the power of God over power of the false gods of Egypt. You'll see God's strength, his desire to save, how really just amazing he is. And even as these plagues go on, there are these little phrases or words or things that are assigned in each one. And so what we'll do is each time we go through these sermons, we're going we're gonna to highlight different things. We're going to highlight just the unique aspects of how these plagues are responded to or what's said about them this week. And next week is the first time we get the phrase, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. We don't get that till plague six. We've said that before. So plague six is the first time we actually read that phrase. So we'll do kind of a theological dive into what God is doing in plagues four through six next week. And then the following week, it's a lot of getting geared up for the 10th plague. And specifically in the ninth plague, what looks to be a battle of the Lord over one of the most significant gods of Egypt in the world turning dark for three days. So we'll look at these each week in different ways because the plagues kind of give one message, which is God is all-powerful, trust Him. Don't remain obstinate. But then each time we go through it, we'll see different things that are developed as we go. Now, plague one was another one of the signs that were given. Exodus 7, 14 through 17 is where we'll begin. The Nile River turning to blood. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He's just speaking of the condition. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. He's bathing. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness, but so far you have not obeyed. This is the condition of Pharaoh's heart. Not obeying. But then look at this phrase in verse 17. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. By this, you shall know that I am the Lord. That's the phrase that you see in 
the first plague that you don't see in the second and thirds. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. So why do the sign? Well, the Lord declares, you do the sign so that God may be known. By this you will know that I am the Lord. This is the offer made to everyone today. God moves to be known. His power is to be known. We have His scriptures so that He might be known. We have His Spirit in Christ so that as we read them, we can understand who He is. That God, God's just not sitting around doing tricks for Himself. That His movement, even in history, is so that He might be known and worshipped and glorified by the world. That's what he wants. This is the thing that we screwed up in the garden. God gave the command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill it with my image bearers. And yet what happens? Not much time goes by before Adam and Eve go, we kind of want to do our own thing. The fall of man happens and that relationship that they had in the garden has been severed. And yet God is still moving. He's still being known. He's still reaching. He's still speaking. He's still ministering. He's still saving. So even in this first plague, by this you will know that I am the Lord. When this happens. God, in turning the water of the Nile to blood, is going to show that the source of power and strength and security for the Egyptians can be disregarded in the same way you toss out a pizza crust. The Nile was life. Even today, the Nile is powerful river which you set up along right like you just set up along it you the cities are built along it you find it there we do the same thing right here i lived by the mississippi river for however many years lsu's campus is set up right beside the mississippi river for those of you counting that's two lsu references in two weeks right there if that river was shut down Life in so many ways stops. If you can't get what you need, if the shipping container can't make its way, it it stops. So this is no small thing to take the source of power and fertility and strength and might of Egypt and then, like this, make it useless. Verse 18, the fish in the Nile shall die. And, in case you needed to know, the Nile will stink. And the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile, because they can't. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, their ponds, and all the pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout the land of Egypt even the vessels of wood and the vessels of stone. It's about to get interesting. It seems like all the water from the Nile and wherever it was is turning to blood. 
Moses and Aaron did this as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. He lifted up the staff, struck the water of the Nile, and all the water of the Nile turned into blood. And the fish of the Nile died. The Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. This is what the Lord said would happen in that order. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. Now, to me, there's a little bit of irony in this, or at least humor. Like, why would you make a bad situation worse? Like, why would you make more frogs from tons of frogs? Why would you do that? But again, what does Pharaoh need? I need a shred of evidence to disregard everything that is going on. Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. He would not listen to them and the Lord, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house and he did not take, uh, take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink for they could not drink water from the Nile. So they're looking for groundwater, right? Like that's what's going on there. They're looking for groundwater, which I think even that shows the power of the Lord because it's not just like all water is going to be blood. Like, no, I'm going to pick the water that's blood. It's the Nile water that's going to be blood. It's not all. Like that, that alone, and you'll see the selectivity of God and who's affected and who's not, specifically in flags 4, 5, and 6, that stands out. But Israel lives in the land of Goshen, a little farther out from city center. And the Lord's always protecting his people there. All these plagues, they don't make it to Goshen. So much so that in the, one of the plagues, Pharaoh has to send messengers to scope out Goshen just to see. Go look at them and see if, like, is it happening there too? And it's not. And so in this, the power of the Lord is demonstrated not just in what he does, but what he doesn't do. He, it's, not just, it's not an all or nothing. No, the Nile turns to blood. You dig up some groundwater which is what they did to try and find water to drink. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So that goes on for a week. For life is like that. So it's likely with that groundwater or how they were finding that source of water, the magicians were able to replicate the plague but that little bit of replication was all Pharaoh needed. He did not, what does the scripture say? He did not take these things into his heart. <clears throat> now, I'm similar to that at times. I'm not saying you're Pharaoh. I'm not saying I'm Pharaoh. But, I mean, every week, let's just say it this way, every week we get together and, and we read the scriptures, and we worship God, and we sing to Him, and we see things that He's revealed. And, I, and still, what happens often every week is we kind of wander out as if nothing happened. And we move on to whatever, whatever's going next. We just kind of have our schedule. We go, okay, well, you know, there's a baseball game at this time, or there's this going on at that time, like, and we just, we just move on. We often have the same problem. We don't, we don't take these things to heart. We hear them and we, and we move on. But for Pharaoh's sake, 
the Lord keeps going. Because again, he's demonstrating his power. He's headed to a destination. And we get plague two, which is frogs. <laughs> man, oh man. The frogs are intense. So here we go. Starting chapter 8. Second plague. Frogs. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh. Say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let, their, let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold a plague. I will plague all your country with frogs. Which kind of sounds cute. Until you realize how destructive that would be. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your floor and into the houses of your servants and your people and into the ovens of your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with the staff over the rivers, over the canals, over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Now, what I love about what's about to happen here is that the magicians can duplicate it, but they can't reverse it. So they can just basically contribute to the problem without fixing the problem which is my, my marriage. That's what I do. I, let, me, let me try to get in here and make it better. <laughs> so they make it worse with no way of making it better. It's what we do with our sin, too. Just use sin to hide sin, to cover up sin, to address sin. Like, oh, hold on, I can fix this. Like, you can't, I promise you can't fix it. That's why we need Jesus. Only the Lord can change our hearts. And only the Lord can change the situation that is going on here. Even to the minute. Even to the minute. Look at this. God is sovereign even over the minute. Verse 8. Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs. Not a prayer request I've ever had. From me and from my people, and I'll let the people go sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me, which is an interesting phrasing, isn't it? When I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, tomorrow. Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know, listen to this line, that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. Huh. That's interesting. So, Pharaoh goes to Moses and he says, Get these out of here. Moses responds and goes, Hey, pick the time and the place. Pick the time and place. Tomorrow. Which, maybe in Pharaoh's mind, is the quickest that can be done. Right? There's intercession. Intercession takes time. We need to see that. But so, like, tomorrow is, get, like, ASAP is what he's saying. Get them gone. So Moses goes, sure. That you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. 
Set your watch, Pharaoh, and you will see his power. Verse 12. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So again, though even we see plague one, that you may know that I am the Lord, Plague two, that you may know there's no one like the Lord. We're going to do it at this time. Still no change. Let's not forget the introductory sign. The magicians duplicate it, but Aaron's snake swallows up the others. Okay, so that's a, like a, if we're going for like advantage the Lord, right? We're there. First plague, not a blood. God has power. Shows it, the Nile turns to blood, other waters don't. The magicians duplicate it, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, but it's so, the, so that the Lord, world may know that he is great. <clears throat> Second plague, frogs everywhere. And though duplicated, the magicians can't fix it. Not one time does Egypt show up superior in this. It's not like you're keeping tally going, okay, well, seven in the Lord's favor, three in Egypt's favor, Lord still wins out. No, this is easily no contest. It's going to be 10-0 plus the introductory sign, and we're just going to keep going. The third plague will not be duplicated. And there's a phrase that the magicians use that we'll get to that they can't change what's going on, but they recognize something else. Gnats. Now, like I said, it could be gnats. Some translations read gnats. Some read mosquitoes. Some read lice. Pick your poison. They're all miserable. They're all miserable. Exodus 8.16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth. Notice there's no warning. We're just going right to it. So that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. Maybe one reason is you're turning, t- turning dust into a living creature. Who's done that before? Right? The Lord's done that. So there were gnats on man and beast. Listen to this, verse 19. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. This plague comes on suddenly, no warning, no meeting, no, no hey, let my people go. It just happens. And we're not sure, like I said, mosquitoes, gnats, lice, I don't want any of them. I was out in a field two weeks ago, and the mosquitoes were there. If I had to pick right now, I don't want mosquitoes. They were brutal. And they were gigantic. Not sure what was going on. Now 
Now multiply the nuisance that we feel when we're outside in a Texas day after 10 inches of rain over 10 days. That little bit of nuisance that we get when it's like, I just can't go outside. I got to be covered with, you know, chemicals or whatever else or just stay inside or do this thing. Like that nuisance that you get where you're just like, right, or whatever it is, like multiply that by a billion where it's everywhere. Notice that plague one really just affects the water. Plague two, the frogs get everywhere. They're in everything. You open up a pot, ribbit, ribbit, right? That's coming out. Plague three, now man and beast, they're all being affected by what's going on. So again, we're increasing the intensity as these happen. And you go, please, just make it stop. What do I need? How do I kill them? Again, with mosquitoes. You know, like in Florida, they released a bunch of genetically modified mosquitoes. And citizens are really mad because they're trying to find a way to control the mosquito population. Like, it's crazy. Or you're outside as there are gnats and you're kind of running or you're playing and you breathe them in. They're stuck in your teeth. Never happened to you? Just go outside more. But the interesting thing here, remember, so that you may know, that's the first phrase, then there's this controlling, you know, God has the power, um, there's no one like our God, that's the second plague, and the third plague, the magicians speak up, and they say, this is the finger of God. Now, I'm not sure why it's finger and not hand, not arm, because arm is a sign of, like, power and strength and might, like, so... Why not the arm, but finger of God? But what the magicians are doing here is going, this isn't us. We can't do that. We can't make that happen. This is God. But Pharaoh still didn't care. Now, this is interesting. This third plague is interesting to me. Not because of the nuisance of the insect, which would be an incredible one. But because of the statement of the magicians, where they recognize that there's something different going on here, and Pharaoh's counselors get more and more, I wouldn't say they, they turn to the Lord, but they catch on more and more that something's happening and it needs to stop. And so they'll say in later plagues, things like, hey, these people are going to get us killed. If they stay in the land, it's only going to be problems for us. We have to get them out of here. So Pharaoh's counselors are catching on that this isn't going to go well for Egypt way before Pharaoh does. And Pharaoh kind of swings maniacally between, I'm never going to let you go, and, oh yeah, I'll let you go, but let's, let's, let's haggle over when and how and where. I'll let you go only this far, or only the men, or only like this, or be sure you come back. And every time Moses responds with, that's not, that's not the deal. That's not what we're doing. So Pharaoh swings back and forth. But Pharaoh's counselors become more, they try to be a little more persuasive. We can't let this keep going. And you see that crack in the magicians. This is the finger of God. And interesting with this, is that later on in the New Testament, 
there's a brief phrase, some of you are going to be familiar with it, that we read about the Lord Jesus. And it's, it's about his return. And it basically says, everyone's going to see him. Everyone's going to declare who he is. It reads like this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't it interesting that even as we're reading in the book of Exodus, in the third plague, we have unbelieving Egyptians making a statement about the power of God. They recognize something in him, and they say, this is different. And then the Apostle Paul speaks about a time when the entire world will recognize the person and work of Jesus. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even you this morning who might say, I'm not a Christian, or I'm not sure I'm a Christian, or if you say that, there will be a day when you declare it. But the hope of us at Genesis Community Church is that you declare it as a worshiper. That you declare it as one who has put your faith in Jesus that has trusted him, that has not seen sign after sign, has not heard passage after passage, has not listened, not had interactions in community groups or with Genesis members where you have been just asked, please consider the Lord. He is good. He will save. And you have gone, no, I'm good. That our declaration is joyful. It's glad because it comes from the position of one who has been saved by grace. I'm going to continue to come back to this idea as we see these plagues and recognize who the Lord is, but please trust the Lord. Recognize His power. Seek His mercy. Find salvation. Because whatever way of life you are currently pursuing, if outside of the Lord, will only lead to destruction that is worse than any plague we will read. It's not light or momentary, but will be eternal. Separation from God and the consequences of our sin We won't escape from without Jesus. And we need Him. And so I'm going to ask you every week, trust the Lord. Turn to Him. And you will be delivered. You will find life. You will be saved through Jesus. And for those of you in the room who have seen His power and His might and His strength and who love Him and have been saved by Him, I would say this. Worship Him. With all you have. 
give your mind and your heart and your conversations over to the Lord. That you might joyfully and gladly follow after Him. That He is due praise for His power. That He is due trust and our confidence in Him because it has both been demonstrated as we see in history, but also, as we'll see next week, that those in Him have been preserved protected from judgment. So we worship Him because we don't receive judgment. We worship Him because we, we don't get His wrath. We worship Him because He has protected us from harm for all eternity. This is our God. Who has both a mighty arm And a gracious shepherd's staff. And those who are in Christ get to receive his grace and his mercy forever.